Welcome to the Mail Zone podcast from Monday, March 9th, 2020. This is episode 31, and I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's episode, uh, we talk a little bit about uh, Tom's reason, recent resin testing um, consistency results, uh, why his resin prints were, well, breaking at different levels and uh, if that might have something to do with the way he cured them or even the um, the color that the resins were. Uh, yeah, I, I got a big package from E3D. I finally got a tool changer that I, ho that I hope that I can use in the future for a couple of multi-material or even multi, uh, well, multi-tool prints. So, well, stay tuned for that. Um, we reached a milestone and uh, today we are just, we have just reached uh, the Schnapszahl subscriber count of 7,777.7 subscribers. So really cool. Um, on other recent, uh, well, not, not really news, but on the current situation, uh, we talk about uh, the recent trips to Murph and also Malta Maker Fair, if we are going to make it and if I might have to skip Murph for a couple of personal reasons. And I'm really sad that I probably need to make that decision, but more about that later. On the questions section today, are we Prusa shows? It's, it's like a recurring topic. Um, the issues or the supposed issues that have been found with the Prusa Mini's bed wiring and how everything is attached together. Um, a few things about lightweight PLA that really seems to be tickling your guys' fancies. Uh, can it be used as a rubber damper? And can it be used for lost material casting for doing investment casting of metals using 3D printed parts as a well as a positive that then gets burnt out? Technical question: Why are we not seeing linear motors used on 3D printers? I try to explain what a linear motor is and why we're why it's perhaps not as good of a fit as a regular stepper motor for a 3D printer. And lastly. We found PLA for reasonable prices and Stefan can finally go ahead and make some uh, filament from virgin material. Stefan, have you have you seen my, my latest experiments and, and non-results that I got? Yes, I did. <sighs> I really did. Uh, it's interesting. It's, it's really interesting because you did these tests, I did these tests. The results were, I think, not perfectly the same. Uh, but yeah, you found some inconsistencies not actually with your setup but with like the way the material reacted and the way the material you well yeah. you post-processed well, let's let's be fair my, my setup isn't perfect and i've mentioned that in the video i know like me physically pulling on a thing is not going to be 100 accurate it's not going to be as good as yours where you have a machine just consistently pulling on it yeah. but i know how much of a variation i have and it's not it's not on that scale. Yeah. So, so you're actually the, talking about yeah. your resin tests. Yes, 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 yes. We should maybe clarify that. <laughs> um, so the resin test, I, I don't know. Have, have you seen anything like that where, where resin just isn't consistent? Um, at least on for... On that scale. At least like, for the 
tests that I did, I was really surprised how consistent my results were. And Perfect. to be honest, um, when I did the test, I think one set of samples I forgot under the UV light and a couple of other ones I just processed for, I think, half an hour or something like that. So okay. the the curing setup for me was not the most consistent one. So as I was really surprised to see what issues you had, even though you were using the CW1, so the curing curing station that uh, the, ships the with interesting the Pusha. Thing is, yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is Pusha actually recommend, hey, we've, we've set this machine to three minutes of curing. This is... Uh, okay. And it's, I mean, I don't know how much LED power they have in there, but it's not a lot. It yeah. is not like 150 watts of UV LED that's, that's burning this thing down. It's more like, I think, 20-ish, um, if, if anything. And that that already seemed low to me. So I've already cranked it up to five, which is mm. still compared to like thirty minutes, um, still not a lot. Yeah. So, so but you, you think it's just that it's that it's not cured enough? It's hard. Um, if I see a translucent, some of the resins were very soft still. Yeah. If I uh, see water, a water. translucent three <laughs> D print. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of hard for me to imagine how the UV light will will penetrate penetrate through the whole part. Uh, but you also had kind of the same variance with transparent parts. And yeah. This well, was... I, I tested I tested the the ABS like transparent resin yeah. for the most part because it was a bit more consistent and a bit mm. more in line with what I would be expecting yeah. uh, already. But the <sighs> I, I don't know if, if the UV light actually penetrates into the optically transparent parts because if it's, you know, it's still a red tint. Yeah. So I assume that acts as a as a very thin notch filter that, that just leaves through um, or, or allows red light to pass and everything else is, is blocked. And red light is pretty much on the opposite end of, of the spectrum <laughs> as UV light or near UV. Yeah. Um, so... I don't. I don't think there's much of a difference with transparent versus non-transparent. At least when it's a red resin like that, mm. uh, still does does a resin part even cure on the inside at all? Is that is that something that's expected, or is it just a norm that it's hey you you print it in the machine and your layer layer exposure time is all the exposure you're ever gonna get? It would be interesting to know that. So it maybe would be interesting to cut up apart and as you also do it to figure out if you for example hardened a metal part all the way you do incremental hardness tests all the way from the side of the part to the center so the thing yeah. is uh, for example the formlabs printers their preparation software tells you okay uh, if, if you have a really beefy and thick part Hey, uh, we think you might have issues with curing. Maybe hollow the part out or or do something different to not have this accumulation of well wall thickness. Um, so there is probably and, and that that is specifically for curing and not for hey it might warp or something where it might just be too much material that you're using up. I'm not a hundred percent sure because I have basically not worked with the Formlabs printer at work yet. But um, a colleague of mine told me that with another part where we also had a similar similar issue. Um, so I still think it is a problem, and the resin will absorb some of the UV light when it's going through the part. Uh, 
three minutes of curing time is also something that I find just really, really little. The curing station from Formlabs, they usually run it for, I think, 10 to 15 minutes. And uh, it's really interesting because for all of the resins that Formlabs is selling, they are giving you the curing times and the curing temperatures that are recommended. Right. And also for the materials, they give you the properties of the material in its uncured state and in its fully cured state. And those properties can vary quite a bit. So what could happen in the end, if your part is too thick and the UV light doesn't penetrate all the way, so it doesn't cure the inside of the part, that you have kind of a gradient of properties that is fully cured on the outside and gets weaker and weaker, um, well, to the middle. The thing is... Sorry, an uncured yeah. part just naturally is always going to be weaker and softer. It's in in no circumstances an uncured part going to be stronger. It is more ductile, and this might be even well. This might even make a part stronger because it's more flexible. For in rare cases, depend, depend, it, depending on the on the part geometry, yes. Depending on the part geometry, uh, I, I think there's a if. If you have a resin that gets really, really brittle when it's fully cured, this might be weaker for a certain application than an uncured part that is still softer. Right. But I think that's not really by design. So when I'm thinking, you you just um, said something about the color of your resin that yours was red. The one that I was using, the um, blue resin uh, from Siraya Tech. Yeah, Siraya Tech. Yeah, that's the one, after you did the video, yeah. that's the one that everyone's talking about. Yeah. saying, hey, Tom, test this. I've heard this is really strong, yeah. obviously. Um, We've tested it. Well, it is blue material. So maybe okay. the filtering of the light spectrum is in a way that it lets the UV light penetrate, uh, pen- penetrate deeper into the part. And that was helping me for consistency. So what I wanted to say with that, it might be really interesting to do a comparison of different resin colors and how their properties turn out. Yeah, from the same brand, same line of of resins, just do uh, different colors. Because, I mean, it does make sense. Blue is very close to UV. um, And the UV light we use for curing, what is it, 405-ish? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically, it's just barely UV. That's yeah. that's more like a, a very deep blue. Um, so yeah, if it's blue, it makes sense. Clear probably has the, the best strength then, uh, or the best curing properties. <laughs> curing properties, maybe the best consistency. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It it might be there's, really there's interesting so much to, to dive into to dig yeah. deeper into that. Uh, but also on that remark, uh, I don't know if you if you can see it in the background. Um, I have, I well, I have had for ages a couple of different colors different colored samples of pla filament uh right here that i want to test for strength to see if the if the pigment that is used for coloring the pla has a different on properties of the final part what was it yellow filament is like weaker or something that's, i think that's the, something the, that the, often the comes pink up? the pink one was really uh, was really was it weak or was it really impact resistant? I don't know. 
so there was I, one paper we talked about that I think in another podcast, and they also did that test and they found quite a big variance between colors. But the, what what my mind's jumping to right now is because I mean it's not just a, a dye or something; it's actually a pigment. Pigments are basically small particles that you, that you dump into your filament. Um, it's depending on what sort of a pigment you put in it might start uh like crystallization what's it called granules like it just just give the the filament a starting point to crystallize at mm -hmm. that point and as we all know crystallized filament it does behave or crystallized pla does mm -hmm. behave quite a bit differently than uh non-crystallized or amorphous material mm -hmm. so that that could actually make a quite a big difference there i asked around to a couple of filament manufacturers and nobody had a real answer for me. So nobody really tested it. So they usually just, often yeah. they only use injection molded samples for, for getting the material data sheet. Um, so yeah, this is a project I really wanted to, to do for quite a while just to see how the results are. I know from injection molding, um, just, a guy that I know that runs a injection molding shop, he told me that, for example, if they use blue pigment in their, uh, well, for PE injection molding, they have right. way more shrinking than they than if they are using other colors, which is really interesting. So he said yeah. there's, that there's a, a really big correlation between, well, in this case, shrinking of the material to the pigment that you're using. So... There might be something in that direction. It is yeah. not directly connected to to uh, the reason why resin might behave differently. Because yeah, maybe it's it's just light Who absorption. Knows? Maybe maybe there is yeah. But it might be a, an interesting topic just to just to to research and see if there's really a change. To really deep dive, yeah. yeah. You know what else is a deep dive? Your tool changer. Holy crap! You've gotten yourself into something there. Yeah, I finally, I finally received the tool changer. So I was kind of crying out in my lightweight PLA video that I really want to print a wing with different ratios of foaming on the inside and 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 on the outside. And yeah, just Sanjay reached out to me and asked me, hey. Do you want to have a tool changer for that application? And since I don't have a proper multi-material or multi-nozzle 3D printer, I was really just begging to have one because it is mechanically a really, really nice machine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a project, I guess. Second? I, th I think it's quite a project to put it together and to yes. calibrate it and things like that. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, they, they've offered me a tool changer too um, a while ago when it was still like in, in beta or like, what's the beta 100? Yeah, beta 300. machines or something. 300, yeah. Um, they were like, hey, do, do you want to try one out? And it was always like, I, I would love to, but it's going to take up so much of my time. Um, I don't think I, I, can, I can go through it. So mm. uh, it's going to be interesting to see what, what you think and how much effort you have to go through. Yeah. So you got the, you, you basically have everything for that, right? You have four tool heads, I assume, the whole kinematics platform, yep. do it, um, everything you need to to get it running. I hope I have a big box next to me uh, and hopefully there's going to be everything in there that I need to assemble. So yeah, nice. um, Sanjay told me that there's going to be four Hermia 
extruders that he kind of dug out of a a, a pile of rejected ones from quality control <laughs> uh so he said okay just pay attention if something's not working that might uh the reason for that might be that uh this was just a rejected one from from right. somewhere which, which is totally fine for me i'm I really appreciate the support from that side because uh, I think it's a gorgeous machine and I have oh, yeah, quite a couple of ideas that I want to do with uh, such a machine that does not only give you the opportunity to have multi-material 3D printing, but you can really have different tool heads for different applications and things like yeah. that. The The question about that is always what sort of tool do you prepare your tool paths with? Like if you have, of course, the, the idea with the tool changer is not just to have uh, three different FDM heads, FFF, whatever, extruder heads, um, but also to have like a milling head or a camera or an inkjet printer or whatever else yeah. on there. Uh, I guess there's not, there's still not much going on there. Yeah. So yeah lo looking forward to maybe an integration in fusion 360 that might enable something like like that uh patio isn't happening anymore so i think we won't see any integration from that side wait did, did they cancel that uh it's currently not being developed as much as i know Okay. So okay, because I've 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 not I've actually not heard anything about the the project since I think they they had a few updates or something since I took a yeah. first look at it. Um, but okay, there hasn't been one for I think almost a year. So I don't know mm. how much uh, development is really going on in that direction. But it's kind of sad, but um, maybe they noticed that this is quite an undertaking to get a, a new slice onto the market. I mean, they, they jumped at it with the right force, with the right uh, yeah. what's it called? determination, I guess. Yeah. They, they had a whole team of, of people there. Um, I don't know, but I, I guess there, there's no official, hey, this, this project is now dead confirmation or anything yet. Let me check, but I would not know. <clears throat> yeah, so, it, <laughs> so yeah. I, I have a couple uh, of things planned that I think I can do without the need of a specific slice for that. Uh, so one thing is, is it's called Z-hooks. So you kind of leave voids into your part and then you fill those voids in an additional step either with a, a separate nozzle or you could even use the same nozzle um, to have hooks into your part that kind of glue the, the layers together. Ooh. Um, okay. or you could even put uh, something like a two-part epoxy syringe on one of the tool heads <laughs> to fill those voids. Uh, some, something in that direction, I think, would be just interesting to play around with. Yeah, maybe maybe just hack together some manual G-code or use your uh, Python coding skills yep. and uh, do a post-processor. Yep. Nice. Uh, where are my tabs? There are my tabs at. Okay, <laughs> I just I just tried to find some info on, on Patheo. Um, the last beta release that they're calling big beta was July twenty third, twenty nineteen. Yeah, uh, and there was O six three beta three. Fade over to beta. Is there anything more recent than that? Be beta four. So there's been a release since. Yeah, I would guess it's 
there's still development happening. Okay. It's just no no official cancellation, so I'm there might be something big coming or it might just be faded out. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Uh we'll see. Yeah, uh I guess we have also reached a milestone, a a, a schnapszahl milestone for the podcast. Yeah, uh, let's let's hope that's not the the cue for us to to start uh, tapering out and then start shutting down. No, we are, as we speak, at seven thousand seven hundred seventy seven point seven subscribers. Um, maybe we'll get the point three subscriber to to get us uh, to to one above that schnapszahl uh, by the end of this podcast. But yeah, nice. I mean. I did bring a few subscribers along uh, with the with the channel mm-hmm. um, because this used to be like a, what was it Tom, more Tom Tom Tom's live Tom oh yeah live channel right yeah right I I, I pulled a sneaky on you and, uh, and actually <laughs> carried over those subscribers thinking like yeah you know if you're interested in, in live stuff then you're probably interested in something that is essentially a live recording of a of a of a conversation we're having. Um, but yeah, we've we've gained quite a few subscribers on YouTube, yeah. and we're getting pretty solid, you know, listen hours on on the other platforms as well. So thank you all for watching and, and supporting the podcast just by by listening to it. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, ten can ten k. I mean, we're gonna get the the YouTube. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Hold on, you no, don't that, get that, one. That, that's happening quite a bit later. I, I wish I no. wish that was ten k. No. Uh, we can we can maybe print one for 10k. Yeah, or you can shape one out on your shaper. Oh yeah, not out of aluminum, <laughs> <laughs> not out of this aluminum. Um, yeah, um, I've I've gotten I've gotten some feedback from the from the shaper team. Okay. Um, I I will retry. I'll, I'll try a different like. Uh, I I do still have some material from a uh, from a heated bed, just mm-hmm. a milled flat aluminum, which is I think a a, a cast aluminum yeah. and not a rolled and and uh, formed that way. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit more brittle when you cut it. It's not as as ductile mm-hmm. and as goopy. Yeah. Which I know that the material that I tried to cut into is like the worst to cut. Yeah. Um, but still, if you have to reduce your feed rates that much, um, just to not get it to to like work against you that mm. much. In wood, it's okay because you have some friction. On aluminum, it's yeah. like it's very difficult to get some traction mm. there, so you have to push against the machine. And it's just, it, it's it's fantastic for wood. It's a really nice tool for for cutting into wood. But I don't think I. I mean, even though it might be possible to do it cleanly, I don't think I actually want to cut aluminum with that. Yeah. Um, but I also yeah. had the same experience when I worked with just flat sheets of aluminum on my CNC router that there is a huge difference on the type of alloy that you're using. So I yeah. specifically bought a machinable, 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 machine, machinable, 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 yeah. Mach- machinable, yeah. machinable, um, alloy and it's it's way better and way easier to work with than just the standard uh hardware store aluminum that you're usually getting yeah the i mean it is quite a bit more expensive uh if you get the the actual machinable alloys yeah i think it's it, it may be about twice as much at times yeah uh but yeah it, it does make a huge difference 
So, I mean, on a on a CNC, on an automated tool, I have no issues having a, a cut job run for 45 minutes. Yeah. But if you're actually dragging the tool <laughs> and if you have to position it for 45 <laughs> minutes, like that gets, that, that wears you down. Uh, that physically wears you down. Yeah. So, um, I think we've, yeah, the, the plate that I tried to make was actually for, for this thing. And we'll get to a comment about why we don't add more videos and descriptive imagery into our... Um, podcast but for this thing this is this is going to be at some point in a different configuration this is going to be the next philoene testing jig um i think i'm, I'm just going to route it out of plywood yeah maybe i'll get some nice hardwood plywood in a, in a decent thickness and you know that that should be enough to take the five thousand newtons from this uh this load cell that's you know going to introduce mine is also totally made from wood it the reason yeah. why i build all of my machines out of wood because it is an easy material for me to work with if you don't have specialized tools if you don't have a pro proper uh a proper lathe a proper router and and things like that yeah mill and in fact behind me for i mean sorry about all your audio listeners but behind me we've got the mendel 9000 which is also built from mostly plywood yeah. and it is perfectly square perfectly flat been a real joy to work on uh even though it's it's not been that much of a joy to work on because it's way overbuilt but um <laughs> it is a very appropriate material even even always be i mean it's it's an engineered material that is meant to be uh yeah. a permanent building material right yeah and and it has the advantage that it absorbs more of the vibrations than normal metal does just it's true and yeah this is the re I, I i'm I was, I've been thinking for quite a while that I want to revisit my wooden CNC router project and really to start from the basics again and engineer a wooden CNC mill that is capable of machining steel. Just I've. I've actually run some, some like napkin math on the entire thing uh, yeah. because I've, I've, I've thought about doing the exact same thing and just for like the I, I think the goal was like a one by one meter or something or one by one and a half or so like a traditional portal router style thing and if you just build like a beam out of plywood if you have like the 16 millimeter plywood and just build a beam that's i don't know 10 by 15 centimeters or something that thing is going to be so freaking rigid mm. you bolt some mgn12 to that and you've got yourself a a perfectly no. rigid uh cnc setup mm. essentially i wouldn't well i i actually wouldn't want to build it router style so like one meter by one meter i really would like to have a stiff setup where you only have like okay. 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters centimeters because the problem I'm always facing with my big style half meter by half meter CNC routers is that they are too wobbly um, due to the gantry, due to the, how do you say, to, you, to, due to the portal, because that yeah. flexes, that uh, this, well, takes a lot of torsion and things like that. Uh, I would really like to build a wooden CNC mill in a way like, a bridge port mill for example looks like and just Ooh, okay something like that <laughs> maybe that would be interesting maybe i'll so you're I'll, gonna have a a, a table an xy table exactly. on the bottom and then a z-axis up top yeah okay 
Mm. I would really like to do that. Or, or just have a, a knee on the ZR. Yeah, yeah something nice. like that. I think it's it's totally doable and it might give you really nice results. And if you're not lose, uh, using a bunch of cutting fluid, I think it's, <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably good for, for um, machining steel and stuff like that if you do it properly. And you don't need specific tools to do it. Maybe even just fill half of it with concrete in the end. Just because concrete. To totally makes sense. Adds a bunch of weight. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, for vibrations and stuff, wood is already better. Yeah. Um, and you can always fill it either concrete or sand if you just want the vibration properties yeah. and, and get some extra weight. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, wood is, wood really is a, is an underrated material. I think definitely. I think it's like oh yeah, it's like all machine aluminum and like ooh, but use plywood painted and it's as good as anything. Yeah. Mm. And if you, I've actually looked at at like plywood prices in the US. Um, who was a who was a yeah I, I for the uh, for the shaper because oh. like the the obvious use case for the shaper is you put a, a bunch of tape over a sheet of plywood and it's like there you go you brought out your furniture or whatever um and plywood in the u.s is incredibly cheap yeah it's like half the price that it yeah. is here um well because it's used in construction it's used for building houses yeah we don't typically build houses out of plywood here we do use some but not as much as as the u.s um so yeah but even still it's it's a very cheap material compared to buying a sheet of aluminum yeah <laughs> nice so nice. we'll see we'll see maybe i need to get uh, back to you at some point and uh, use the shaper to route out a couple of big <laughs> side pieces for that thing <laughs> making a cnc with a handheld cnc yeah <laughs> something like that yeah let's see cnc project have you seen uh ivan marinda's uh, latest video uh, uh, I haven't watched it yet. I have watched the previous ones, but I've seen a couple of videos on uh, on Instagram. I think yesterday where he was routing out a gear, and yes. my jaw just dropped. It looked really nice. So basically, he built. I mean, of course, he's doing three D printed stuff. Um, so he built a let's call it a it's it's a mostly printed you know CNC though. Well, whatever. Uh, it's a it's a CNC router that um, uses large chunks of of three D printed parts. So um, that plus easily available thirty by thirty millimeter aluminum tubing, and it's it seems to be doing incredibly well for mm -hmm. for like being aluminum plus plastic. Um, and it's it, it looks really simple to be to to build. Like you can tell, he put a ton of effort into designing the parts yeah. and into making everything work together. But uh, yeah, it's just a, a really simple looking machine. Yeah, and I think he actually released all of the CAD files. Uh, maybe to his patrons, but I think the files are only gonna are gonna be available once he's cleaned them up. Okay. Yeah. Which hopefully that's not gonna be the same thing as you know when everybody else says, "Oh, I'm gonna release them when I've cleaned them up," which means never. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, but the plan is to release them. Yeah. Uh, I'll put a link to the video in the description. Yes. For everyone who's interested. Uh, yes. And I think we'll actually skip this topic and move on to the next one. Murph, Make of Malta, COVID-19. 
So you're still planning to go to Malta and to uh, Chicago or Goshen. Sorry. YOLO. YOLO. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, I am planning on going to uh, Make It For Malta and then the week after that uh, to Murph. I mean, Murph, you, you kind of, I kind of can't miss. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it it is hard at the moment. And especially if you're reading about... Already a lot of others canceling their trip to Merv. I just recently, yes. I think yesterday, read that read that Gina is not going, and uh, yeah. I am also tempted to stay at home due to the reason that I'll be getting married a week after Merv, and if I just yeah, wouldn't wouldn't risk that to be catch honest. something <laughs> there, even though it's it's not well Corona. I think it's probably really. And uh, not unreasonable. What's the right word? It's, yeah, inconsiderate. Inconsiderate words. to be yeah. well, like the man on the wedding, the the groom on the wedding that is shaking hands with everyone, and you. There is a chance that you have corona. So, um, yeah. I haven't decided yet totally, but maybe I just have to stay at home. Um, I hope that maybe then I have the chance to go to the East Coast Rap Rap Festival because I was really looking forward to, but uh, it's really hard at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I don't blame you. I can't blame you. Um, I'm Again, I'm, I'm still set on going. The The idea anyways is I, I'm a freelance dude working from you know my own office. I don't need to talk to people all day and I'll <laughs> definitely be uh, staying at home a lot after I get back from well, from both Murph and I mean, once I get back from Maker for Malta, I've got a week to like kind of develop symptoms. So I'm hoping if I, I I'm gonna know if I'm if I'm sick or not by the time I head out to Murph. Yeah. And then of course after Murph, I, I'll I'll stay home for a while. Yeah. Um, try not to shake too many hands here, yeah. and of course maybe even avoid fist bumps this year on Murph. Well, you know, <laughs> elbow know. bumps, elbow bumps to yeah. do the foot thing. Yeah. If it wasn't for me, I, I, well, if if I wouldn't get married just the week after Murph, I would have definitely gone to Murph because it is just a lot. Well, it is pushed a lot in in the news lately. The problem all around Corona and things like that. So, um, I'm a healthy person, not too old, not too young. Uh, I think it it would probably be not that harmful, even though I would catch anything. But just due to the, the yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the thing is just we as young people, or relatively, we 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 still think ourselves or consider ourselves young. We, I mean, we're not that young anymore. But for us, it's if if we catch it, uh, we're gonna survive most likely. Yeah, like it's not gonna be comfortable probably, but it's not gonna kill us. Um, but if you have contact with other folks that might be spreading it, or if you have uh, elderly grandparents that you visit or something, then that's, again, I think inconsiderate would be the, the correct mm. term for that. Um, like I said, I have the choice of, of quarantining, quarantining myself. <laughs> yeah. Is that the, yeah. Um, I, I can do that and I will definitely do that just because like, why take chances? Um, I, I don't. I don't have to talk to people all day. It's not going to be that different from what I'm doing, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, I, I. I still do want to go to Murph. It's still a solidly planned. 
So, I mean, if you're not going, I guess I'm, I'm going to have to cancel the Model 3 I had uh, reserved for the trip. <sighs> it's too, too, yeah, I'm too not, expensive. I'm not going to rent it just for myself. Uh, well, you still could have fun with it. Uh, but if if it's just for me, like I, I already drive an EV. I, I don't need to. I need that. <laughs> I don't know what, what it's like. Yeah. Well, Experiencing uh, the, the autopilot uh, would be nice, but just for one person, I uh, think it's a bit overkill. But you, you tried out the uh citroen 208 at the weekend close close a visual <laughs> damn it <laughs> uh same company but um the peugeot e208 yes over the weekend i had it from saturday to monday brilliant little car enjoyed it very quirky very very uh french i guess okay um but coming from a leaf it's just it's just so much of a better car okay why um why what <laughs> how can you be a worse car than the leaf okay no anyways um the, the the issues i have with the leaf is is it's essentially it's a very old car that's been made to look a bit newer um and the e208 is is a from the ground up new car essentially so that that is uh the electric powertrain so it's got uh, a bit less power than the leaf when it comes to driving but it's a bit lighter car too um it uses less power i've done the same you know 110 120 130 140 kilometers uh an hour on the autobahn and and kind of compared and it's it's a good bit more efficient it does 100 kilowatt fast charging uh the infotainment doesn't suck <laughs> uh driving is, is is a bit nicer it's a bit smaller car mm -hmm. Um, so the trunk is a bit smaller, second row or rear row, rear seats are a bit more cramped, but not that much. Um, what else? And it, it looks better mm -hmm. too, but that's like, I could have lived with leaf, but it's just the, the point that my, my point of, Hey, I'm, I can't live with this with the leaf was when it took me six and a half hours to get home from Stuttgart from the Shaper workshop, <laughs> uh, because of rapid gate and oh, excessive consumption on. and, uh, driving into the, uh, the concrete pillars on the Autobahn because the, the lane keep just failed or, or it didn't reactivate, uh, that's a trip that you usually do in like three hours, yeah. in a gas car. Uh, and like predictions for the 208 for or my, my own napkin math is like, you know, four hours with re recharges. Okay. And six and a half hours, I got home after midnight. I was planning to, to be home by like 10. Um, and it's just, it's just not practical. It's for, for like, you know, going to the supermarket or we're driving, you know, in, in like the local area, or even if you have to recharge, like you can do that, but it's, Really, anything that's like outside of your regular range is just not okay. Not not gonna happen. What's the battery capacity compared to your Leaf? So the Leaf is forty uh, kilowatt hours uh, gross capacity, and the E two eight, and also the basically identical uh, Corsa E, mm -hmm. the Opel Vauxhall Corsa E, uh, fifty kilowatt hours. Okay, and that's gross capacity, so net capacity is gonna be a bit less. Okay. Really, though, capacity doesn't matter when you can recharge with 100 kilowatts. Okay. So you you take a break for 15 minutes and you're back at 50%. Cool. But uh, from zero. Do the usual charging station support 100 kilowatt fast charging? Many, actually. Okay. Many, many. So obviously, like not every charging station supports uh, 100 kilowatt DC fast charging. Uh, many are just 50, mm -hmm. which is fine for the Leaf. 
Um, but if you use a route planner like uh, a better route planner uh, .com, they will actually they will actually factor in charging times for you okay. and will direct you to 100 kilowatt uh, chargers. And there are plenty for for trips or for for basically going anywhere. Cool. It's just so unimaginable for me to just pump 100 kilowatts of power through it's such a thick or thin wire or cable it's it's uh two times 70 millimeters squared uh it's... what i read on the 150 kilowatt charger that i charged up yesterday um i think fastnet is maybe even a bit thicker i don't know uh fastnet does 350 kilowatts Though that is at 800 volts and not at 400. Okay. So that's like Taycan. Okay. Uh, Taycan. Taycan. For sure. Cool. Sweet. So, yeah. Um, the only thing now is I have to get out of that lease contract with the Leaf. Uh, I'll probably have to buy the car and uh, sell it to the Peugeot dealership who has offered uh, a reasonable buyback rate. Um, but, of course, the what, what Nissan's going to charge me for buying that car back is going to be... Uh, more than the uh, more than the car is worth. That's like unfortunate. They, they've got they've got the high ground. Yeah, but if you're not happy with the car for the next three years or something like that, yeah, like another three and a half years. It's just, I mean, for for like daily commuting, short trip stuff. But overall, it's just not a practical car. I've I've not sold. The plan was to sell my 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 three series that I did the UK road trip with. Mm -hmm. um, but I still have that car. I still have that <laughs> because I, I, I just don't think I'll be able to to manage with the leaf mm. uh, for for doing a longer trip or something. And yes, I know I should be taking the train, but if it takes you six hours plus on the train to Stuttgart and then you're not even where you need to be, um, and you still have to take the taxi, that's also not too practical. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, well, I, I think it's good that you still want to stick to an ev after that experience oh, yeah, that yeah. you had that's not up for discussion like i'm, I'm not buying another gas car, or a diesel car. <laughs> yeah interesting well maybe on the topic of thick cables and electricity <laughs> oh god what a transition <laughs> <laughs> what a transition let's talk about the prusa mini uh and we were Somebody said that we are uh, shills for Prusa and didn't talk about uh, the current problems that the Prusa ma machines have. Uh, we talked about the encoder problem. Uh, and uh, to be honest, last time I just yeah. didn't think about the other issue that came up with the Prusa that I also, well, saw on Twitter. Um, so what... Ottoman is saying that um, the Prusa supposedly has issues or some are claiming that it is not the proper way to attach the cables of the heated bed with uh, stainless steel bolts. Um, Prusa has reacted to that. There is... Um, an article on the on the Prusa website that is talking about that issue and it's also showing that it is not an issue, especially because 
the the amperage of the small heated bed is not too high and also the resistivity of the stainless steel bolt is is totally sufficient for that application um so the thing that was happening and also what i saw on twitter is that people posted shots of the cable shoes that are connected to the heated bed with a stainless steel bolt and those cable shoes were connected i think probably the wrong way around so they were not it looks like they should be on the on the pad up top yeah, yeah. so they were not connected directly on the pad on top to the bed uh, so the electricity had to flow through the stainless steel bolt into the um the upper pad uh, i'm not 100 sure if it is supposed to look like that i don't think it it should because um it's better to directly clamp the cable shoe to the pad than um well relying on uh, on the stainless steel bolt but even though if this is happening as i said uh prusa tested it out and it doesn't seem to be an issue so the the resistance is very low so there shouldn't be any any uh heat being produced at at that location and i'm not 100 sure but i think my mark 3 is also connected in a similar way um so that um, a bolt holds the cable shoes at the location where the the connection is so the pad is to the to the heated bed and i still yeah. think it's a better solution than soldering the cables directly to the heated bed without a proper strain relief uh yeah i guess the the, the crimp connector the, the cable shoe is a bit better strain relief than having like the solder wick up into the cable now when it, when it comes to why we're not talking about this um it's for, for me at least it's the same as with any other machine i i comment on issues and input i have with the machines that i actually own and i don't have a Prusa Mini. Yeah, <laughs> simple simple story. Um, I I don't think I've ever like commented on stuff that that that, that I saw on the internet on another machine. And until I have the I, I have a review unit for the mini, um, I would rather kind of make up my own mind on this uh, and not speculate based on on what other people are seeing. Yeah, I know both both for for good and bad. I mean. Prusa does have a track record of making good machines, I think, and so for the machines that I've tested from them are decent. But of course, that does reset with every every new product they bring out. That 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 built up trust that um, I have in them. Yeah. So, well, me too. And yeah, and um, they reacted to those, um, well, claims and. Um, showed that it is not an issue as i said i don't have i don't know fully um if if it's supposed to look like that but for everyone who's interested can check out uh the twitter posts and also the reaction from uh well prusa prusa research yeah, for the, for the blog. So. i mean just just generally having a screwed down um crimp connector or connector like that is perfectly appropriate is done regularly in you know pretty much every uh you know home wiring job or any wiring job you're gonna have a screw on a crimp connector like that usually the current isn't supposed to be flowing through the screw yes but that screw is so thick 
and the current path is so short uh you're not gonna get any significant heating plus it's a heated bed like it's supposed to get hot uh <laughs> anyway it, it shouldn't get hot at the connectors but still it really it's gonna be fine the the one um the the one issue i would have with this sort of of connector that i would be looking out for is if it does come loose over time yeah. because typically those connectors that that style of connector is uh is only pressing down on metal so you either have your uh your your, your you know you have copper and you have steel and you have metals and you tighten those and they stay put you have your, your nominal torque for the screw and you put you, you clamp that down and it just that locks the screw in place if you have something like f4 which is uh, fiber plus resin. I don't know how that reacts under pressure. If it's like a plastic and just flows mm. away and, and kind of loosens up that connection over time, um, that is something that I would need to research and, and would need to look into whether FR4 is actually good for or rated for that. Um, I think it would be nice to see some sort of a spring-loaded element in that screw connection, mm. like a spring washer or you know something along those lines just to make sure that it does have some it, it does retain some tension over time okay do you know if for such applications usually are there copper screws or something like that that have no. lower resistance um no usually even, just, even though um, i don't say that a copper screw for that application would be good because it work hardens and it's not it's a very soft it's material, very soft start, material yeah, yeah. Um, usually the screw connection is not a, a functional part of an electrical connection. Usually you're just pressing, like we see on the, on the image there, usually you're pressing your, your crimp connector, your flange on the, on the pad directly onto your, your pad, onto your connector mm. where the current flows back out. Usually you don't conduct mm. electricity through a screw and, or through your fastening yeah. element. And the resistance is probably proportional to the like clamping pressure in that connection, the, the resistance between the cable shoe and the pad where the electricity if needs you to have them if you have them in direct contact yeah. yeah okay yeah though um stuff like the the crimp connectors and stuff are usually sized uh in a way where the connection itself is not the limiting factor for how much current you can push through it um simply because it's expected to make good enough contact uh to a point where your cable that you're actually crimping into that mm. that connector uh is the limiting factor okay interesting so yeah if it's if it's only yeah it, it, it's only going to be long term in the short term i don't think this is an issue um but yeah i'll have to test for myself yeah i think as soon as well probably similarly to the um to the uh prusa uh, resin prusa what's the name the sl1 sl1 uh i think they will be starting to to send out review units as soon as they finished managing the backlog of of pre-ordered units and also just figured out all, all of the issues they are still having which of course is, a, is an interesting strategy uh i mean typically with like phones and computer hardware and stuff you get review samples before the thing is even launched yeah including all the issues that they have um what was it the 5600 xt launch uh amd's 5600 xt where reviewers got like a new bios that increased performance by like 15 percent <laughs> the day before the reviews were supposed to go live and they had to redo all their testing uh that's that's not fun because at that point like as a reviewer you, you're doing the beta testing mm. um 
and you're like expected to report back mm. to the manufacturer if you run into any issues and, and your issues are going to be fixed by the time you you're done mm. and it's just why am i doing the testing for you uh on the other hand they what what Prusa are doing is waiting with machines for review to be shipped out that sentence isn't properly structured i'm sorry but with with Prusa waiting for machines to be shipped out so long until they've basically made two or three iterations on it um there are already a bunch of machines out that are going mm. that are not going to be as good as the machine you will be reviewing mm. so they will already have shipped those machines uh and then made fixes and then use a review to get that machine that is hopefully improved um the they they've they've definitely yeah. done testing on the, on the early machines yeah the, the question now is if the first buyers are beta customers I, d- I don't think so in that case because we've, we've had that come up recently, right? <laughs> we're, we're, what was it? I think it was the same with uh, with with some other machines, right? Yeah, well, I I just stopped accepting review units that haven't been released yet, or just like we already shipped five, and here's a review unit, and every, nothing was same. working because yeah. it's not worth my time. Um, Prusa. I think in their defense, they did quite a lot of testing before they shipped out the first units. And there can always oh, be things that come up. And just the same with Amazon reviews. You usually have just black and white. The white ones are sometimes maybe bought uh, uh, reviews. But um, if somebody <laughs> is very upset with his product, he will way more be tempted to leave a review and just put out put out his his anger in in some way or another than if he's totally okay with the product so usually people see more the bad reviews than the good ones even though just maybe a percent or one of a thousand or one of ten thousand have exactly this issue well if you're moving as many machines as as prusha is uh like it's guaranteed that you're gonna somebody's gonna see issues in one way or another that's just have slipped through quality control just happens um and it's gonna be very visible which i hope is gonna get them to at least comment on it look into it learn something improve on it um versus a machine that you know somebody gets makes a video makes a makes a, a, a you know a a glowing review about it uh, somewhere and people go out and buy and i i don't know yeah. i don't know maybe they're, they're moving yeah. more machines that there are going to be more issues that are found maybe just to finish that up i just checked the assembly manual of the mark 3 and the mark 3 uses the same style of connection with uh, the cable shoes directly clamped onto the copper pads okay so i, I think pretension shouldn't be an issue um just the problem that the cable shoes were on the wrong side of the PCB was well not optimal. Is, is there a pad on the bottom? I don't know. Exactly. Uh, well, for the Mark III, there is not. So okay. I assume so. for the... Yeah. Uh, sorry? No, see. there is not because there is... I, I think I just posted a picture from uh, 3D Maker Noob and he shows a picture with from the lower side and the lower side doesn't have a tab so okay yeah should be connected to to the top but even this configuration should be fine should be it should definitely be on the top yeah (laughs) yeah it's 
probably either either it's assembled wrong or they've they figured out something oh if we put it on the on the top we can't really assemble things as expected and it's going to collide into stuff yeah might be a last minute fix i don't know let's continue it's it's something they should (laughs) fix but if they don't it's not a big deal either okay stefan can the lightweight pla be used as a rubber damper i have a thing moving fast and i want it to slow down when it hits the wall that's a question from george (laughs) uh i would rather use the vario short tpu because it's a tpu uh which is foamed up that has, I think, more a rubbery and dampery consistency than the um, than the PLA because the PLA is still a way more rigid material as as a TPU. So to answer the question, yes, maybe, but if you have the option, go with the Vario Short t- TPU. It's like a, a styrofoam, I guess, from the from the way it bounces. Exactly. Consistency-wise, yeah. 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 Um, okay. In comparison to, for example, a EPP. Yeah. Which is just which is, softer. Yeah. 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 Softer, springier. A person without a name is asking, "What do you think about using lighter PLA with lost material casting?" Uh, have you done have you have you worked with lost material casting at all i have worked with normal pla and lost pla casting where it burned the pla out um could work could reduce the amount of ash that you're producing but i think you are also pretty well off if you use just standard pla without any um, uh without any color on the inside additives modifiers and stuff, modifiers yeah. and stuff like that or even the specially designed um polycast from polymaker that is a uh, yeah. it's the same it's the same material as their polysmooth so you can smooth it but has right. is engineered in a way that it leaves only very little ash in the end so i've actually worked with a company uh who does casting with lost pla um i've helped them set that up they now have a stacker and a bunch of mark threes and uh a bcm 3d a modified one what else did they buy recently they bought one other crazy machine recently where they're like ah we, we need it we need big stuff so they're making pump parts pump bodies impellers all that sort of stuff so for them pla Natural PLA from dust filament is exactly what they're using, Mm. is working well. Um, They're not doing sand casting. They're doing the high detail uh, stainless casting where they basically cover the part with a slush coat, a few slush coats, ceramic um, that then gets um, dried. Then I think they burn out the PLA, stuff gets fired, et cetera, et cetera. A few challenges there are the PLA actually expanding with temperature. Mm. and possibly cracking the mold okay because it's it's a it's a very brittle essentially um form that you're building and pla apparently is is at that perfect point where it gets soft before it uh expands too much and cracks your, your your mold so you need that low thermal resistance of pla for this thing to mm, work okay um i think they've also tried polycast but like it was that they've they've already had their, their process set up for pla mm-hmm. so pla for them actually works very well burns out cleanly does all that now 
The lightweight PLA might be a nice option because you have, well, first of all, we have less material and you also have a less rigid material that you're putting in there. Mm. So that entire topic of the part potentially cracking um, all of a sudden is is gone because you have a soft foam that you're doing instead of a rigid plastic that now wants to expand. Mm. Um, like you, you brought up the typical styrofoam lost material casting yes. that is done for like engine blocks and stuff. Um, a very similar idea to the lightweight PLA, I think, where it's a soft, yeah. low density material. But I, th- but I think the density out. of styrofoam and the foams that are usually used for those applications is even smaller than the one that lightweight yeah, PLA yeah. has because lightweight PLA we get to a density of around 40%. I would assume if I put a sheet of of styrofoam on a scale and have the same like volume of uh, polystyrol which is not expanded, uh we probably only have a density of 5% or even less. So there yeah. is way less material to burn out. But then again, you have uh, infill that you can use. Yeah. For even for yep. the lightweight PLA. Yep. So it, it does kind of make up for that. Mm. Um, might be an option for the lost material casting, though, again, uh, regular PLA actually works really well. Yeah. Cool. Um, Ooh, interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> Belvi from, I think, Germany is asking, uh, question for the next podcast. Why are they, there no linear motor-driven 3D printers? Resolution is good enough. Torque of them is just fine. And they have way fewer moving parts than the standard i3XY design. And also not having to use belts is a nice idea. Yeah. What is a linear uh, motor? What is a linear motor? Okay. Uh, let me take a, uh, a stepper motor. So stepper motor... Uh, you have your rotor in on the inside, which is basically a magnet, in very simplified terms. And then you have a bunch of coils around that rotor. So those are arranged in a round, in a round way. So you have uh, actually not just in a, in a DC brushless motor, you have very few coils. Uh, in a stepper motor, typically you have more just to get a, a you know a bit more resolution. Though it varies from the exact motor type. Linear motor, you take this thing, you basically cut open one side and you roll it out flat. So now instead of a rotor, you have a linear element, a a magnetic linear element um, that moves over coils that are energized in series. So you can still do that step where you you basically pull your, now your slidey part, um, what used to be your rotor, you pull it into one position, you change the energization of your coils, it moves an increment and you, you can basically uh, move your linear actor with the same logic as a stepper motor essentially mm-hmm. but it has it has less moving parts you don't have um, uh, radial bearings you have linear bearings you just integrate it with your linear slides um, it can well you, you lose the belts obviously because you're directly pushing on your axes and it's a motor type that is very interesting I think the uh, the ICE Oh, the not not the ICE, the the maglev trains. Uh, maglev trains are essentially big linear motors. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So same thing, uh, same same principle. Um, so linear motors are used in. Well, 
I think they're used in some consumer goods. I'm not sure where. Um, they're used in proper CNC mills. So Bearbeitungszentrum um, typically <laughs> has linear uh, motors on most axes. I don't know. Um, but they, they use linear motors very often. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a good fit for that. Why are we not seeing them in 3D printers? Well, because they're not, I mean, we, we, we could look up what, how much they are in AliExpress, but if, if they go in there right now and I, I get a, a stepper motor and a pulley and a belt and, you know, I'm probably going to be paying like 20 bucks per, per axis for linear motion. You're not going to be paying 20 bucks per axis for a linear motor in, you know, the length you need. Because you, remember, it's not, a, you're not reusing the same angle of your motor. You're not re you're reusing the same segment of your motor for, you know, whatever length you, you need you actually need to extend the length of your motor mm. for, for your entire axis <laughs> uh it just gets really expensive really quickly using a lot of of copper for the coils um and it's it's not a it's not a commodity item like uh like a stepper motor typically all right so i think that whoop, answered it would be nice but it's just it's just too expensive i think Cool. Yeah, not not using the belt would be nice, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, From Ian Jackson. Which which one do you want to do? Uh, Ian Jackson. Uh, great podcast. You guys should start splicing an imagery video to spice up the video. But I didn't love your faces. I know that would add a fair bit of time to editing these, but I think it would be a nice touch. Uh yeah, fully agreed, but no, don't don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> we we already put quite a lot of effort in uh, in that podcast, and it would just like explode the effort if we would do like a proper edit for a one and a half hour video. So we would not be able, I think to get out episodes that regularly. Um, usually if we talk about something and don't show it directly, we have, well, links in the show notes that you can check out. Um, and also at least 50% of the viewers slash listeners are listening to us uh, using a podcast player and they don't yep. have that uh, benefit. So it would be kind of uh not sad uh unfair to them yeah it's just what <laughs> i i think when when we set out to to do a podcast um we kind of decided on what it's supposed to be um and well at, at least i i remember I, I pushed hard for it for it not being a super uh overdone or over edited overproduced I, I didn't want it to be that much effort to make because i i know if it's something that is that is a drag to do and it's i i know you're already taking a week i'm already taking a week to get a podcast episode edited at times um we wouldn't we just wouldn't end up doing these episodes um if it's if it's as much work as doing a regular video it's i think the time is better invested in doing a regular youtube video so yeah um it's just not the premise of this podcast to be a, a pure video um, format that is catered to that and, and makes maximum use of that. It's just a, a, you know, we get to hang out every two weeks and, and talk about stuff uh, that we've learned and have you guys um, well, be part of that. Yeah. 
All right. Last question. <laughs> oh, last last comment. La I guess. Last comment from the Lord of Farts. Yeah, frequent commenter. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were we were talking about, or I especially was talking about the problem that I have a pellet extruder and a filament extruder, but it is hard to get PLA pellets for a reasonable price. The usual sources that I have here in Germany, the PLA pellets sell for almost the same price as filament, which is not economical because why not then buy directly filament? And also you have yeah. the, the disadvantage that they, well, if, you, if you're buying pellets, you don't, they're not colored. So you only... Yeah can print translucent parts if you're not also uh, yep, ordering uh, master batch uh, pigments. And then mixing yeah. it up yourself and hoping that that comes out consistent yeah. in your extruder. So he put uh, one source of pellets into the description that will also be in the uh, in the video description. Um, I also found another source that is RepRepWorld. Um, his source sells... Uh, PLA pellets for 11 pounds per kilogram uh, including shipping that is already <laughs> almost as much or even more than a roll of filament but if you just buy one kilogram if you yeah. just buy one kilogram but um, to be fair um, this is those are colored PLA pellets so yeah. not, so they've, they've gone through an yeah. extruder already once and are not just the uh, uh, the version, the clean resin, mixed with the master batch, but they've already been extruded and mixed thoroughly. Yep. So you don't have to worry about your extruder actually mixing it up properly. Exactly. So yeah, cool. Reasonable rates. Um, though, I mean, I don't think you're going to get a, a filament extruder for economical reasons if you, if you want to save on filament. Mm, yeah, there are some other reasons why you want to use it. Or also the... Um, the direct pellet extruder uh, is more maybe for special applications. I heard some guys talking about feeding it with MIM feedstock, so metal injection molding feedstock, which is metal powder oh, right. bound together with a binder because the ultrafuse is, is quite expensive and BASF is also selling cutter mold, for example, that are... That is basically the same material, just in pellet form, which is right. cheaper to buy. Uh, probably not not the right material for the pellet extruder that I'm having because it features a uh, a brass. How's it called? Not the auger, the the pipe around the 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 screw, um, right. and the MIM material is probably abrasive, so you might not be too happy using it for for too long of a time, but hey, that could be an application, a, yeah. I'm going to get a bit of, of copper into your alloy. Yeah. <laughs> Never hurt anyone. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think... Thank you. Very nice. That's it for today. Over an hour again. Wow. I'm, oh, and I'm, I'm out of coffee. <laughs> yeah. All dry. I'm almost out of uh, water out of my... Uh, how did they out say? Uh, 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 flower jar, uh, vase. Oh yeah, vase. your vase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could be printed. It's a pineapple. 
Yeah, obviously, yeah. but I, I usually drink only it, pina coladas out of it. But um, it looks like a vase. I mean, they're they're, they're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, um, are we are, are we actually going to be able to record another episode before Murph? I w- man, I, I was really looking forward to the to the episode on the way home. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, well, we'll see if. Um, nah, man, do do the right thing. Yeah. I. So you're gonna be at the Malta Maker Fair. That's twenty seven to twenty nine of 9th of yeah. March. Yeah, it's in two weeks. Maybe two weeks. Yeah. something like that. We'll see. And then the weekend. Maybe that, in Murph. between uh, Malta Maker Fair and Murph. We'll see. That should work out. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, if you guys have questions. Put them into the comments here on YouTube or tweet at us at the melt zone or send us an email. And uh, yeah, uh, if you want to support us, head over to our Patreon accounts or become YouTube members or just take a look at the support us links down in the description and on our main channels. And as always, thank you all for listening and for watching, and we will see you in the next one. Goodbye. Bye.